All right, well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to our series in Zechariah. We're continuing looking at Zechariah online here while we're in the midst of this quarantine. Our text for today is Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Uh, I've said in previous weeks that I want to try to keep these online versions of these these sessions a bit shorter because I know it's harder to listen to a recording than it is to to be in person and engaged in the way that, that we were normally at church. So I'm glad that you're tuning into these. I want to be sensitive of your time and keep these a bit shorter. I want to shoot for 20 minutes today. We'll see if I can pull that off. So uh, we're going to continue looking at the night visions of Zechariah. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Zechariah chapter 4 verses 1 through 6, and I will read that for us here, then I'll pray, and we will get started looking at this together. Zechariah 4, verses 1 through 6. And the angel who was speaking with me returned, and he awoke me as a man who awakes from his slumber. And he said to me, What are you looking at? And I said, And I saw, and behold, a lampstand, all of it of gold, and a basin upon its head, and seven lamps were upon it, and seven and seven pipes for the lights which were upon its head. And there were two olive trees upon it, one on the right of the basin, and one on the left. And I answered and I said to the angel who was speaking with me, saying, What are these, my lord? And the angel who was speaking with me answered, and he said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And he answered and said to me, saying, This is the word of Yahweh to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by power and not by strength, but rather by my spirit, says Yahweh of hosts. Let's uh, open our time together in prayer here briefly. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word together. Lord, I pray that this would be productive, even though we're doing it through the aid of technology. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work as this word teaches us, and we pray that you'd accomplish what you want to do. Lord, open our eyes now to behold wondrous things from your instruction. We pray these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, just to remind you a little bit of where we are, We are currently in um, the night visions of Zechariah. That's the first, about six chapters of Zechariah is dedicated to to revealing to us various visions that Zechariah had. And of course, we've talked about these visions throughout these weeks. Um, We've had the vision of the horns and the vision of the horses and all these things. I'm sure you remember these. And what those... Visions. We've covered the first four of them so far. This is number five here that we're looking at this morning. What those first four visions have covered primarily is they've been um, purposed to show God's people that he is all-knowing, he knows all about their problems, and he is in control of the strange situation that they find themselves in. I'm sure you remember In Zechariah, um, we know that from previous weeks as we've studied this, that Zechariah's audience was in a precarious position. They had just returned from the Babylonian exile where they had been removed from the land of Canaan for a number of years. They've now returned and they're trying to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and basically try to rebuild that whole area of the land of Canaan and all of their cities. 
they're not their own sovereign nation yet. Right? Darius, the king of Persia, is in control of them, but he's allowing them to rebuild uh, their cities, particularly Jerusalem and the temple to Yahweh. And so that is the situation they find themselves in. They're, they're in a perilous situation. They're in a situation where they just don't know the future. They're unsure of their own safety. They're unsure of their place in redemptive history because a descendant of David is not on the throne. So they're in a very strange place. And those first four visions that Zechariah receives are God's gracious revelations to show his people that he knows what they're going through and that he is in control of everything that happens. And that is, you know, those are very important lessons for us today, right? We find ourselves in a similar situation right now where we don't know what's going to happen here in the future. Um, we, we know this virus is moving about the land, and it is making many of us very nervous, um, some more than others, and so we uh, are in a similar position, in a sense. And we can learn a lot from those first four visions, as I pointed out in previous weeks. Uh, today, we're picking up with vision number five. And what I think is very interesting about vision number five is that here we are going to see again God is in control and he's going to make sure that his people understand that it is not by human effort that his will is accomplished but rather it is by the power of his spirit it is by his work as almighty God that his will is accomplished and we need that message today so let's look at this fifth vision as we see God telling us that it is him who is in control. Uh, let's look at verse 1 here. And the angel who was speaking with me returned, and he awoke me as a man who awakes from his slumber. Uh, this phrase here is kind of interesting. This is, this is basically marking a division in the visions. Okay, so we've had our first four visions, which are all about God's, God's all-knowingness and his power and his comfort. And now we are making a transition in the vision. Zechariah has, since the fourth vision that we looked at last week, has fallen into a deeper sleep, and he is now being re—he's now being awakened from that really deep sleep. So he's he's making a, a transition here. Uh, that's what's being indicated in the text. He's making a transition from the first set of visions to now the second set of visions, and in this second set of visions, there's a new message that's going to be proclaimed, and it's going to get very detailed when we look at it next week. But for now, just note that he's making a transition here. An angel who was speaking with me returned, and he awoke me as a man who awakes from his slumber. And now he asks Zechariah, and he says, hey, what do you see? So here's a new vision that Zechariah is seeing, a new set of visions. And Zechariah responds, and he says, I see a lampstand, all of gold, and a basin on its top, and there are seven lamps on it, and there are seven and seven um, pipes for the lamps which are on it. So just to kind of describe what Zechariah is seeing here, because it can seem kind of confusing, like what is this, a lampstand with a bowl on the top? Uh, yeah, actually it is a lampstand with a bowl on the top. So the Hebrew word here for lampstand that, you, that you're seeing in your English is the, the Hebrew word menorah. And I'm sure you've probably heard the word menorah before, right? That, that's very common in Judaism. And also, the menorah is a gold lampstand that we see being described in Exodus when God gives instructions to Moses about what to build 
for the tabernacle. There was the, you know, the table of showbread and the altar of burnt offering and the bronze basin and all those kinds of things. And the gold, pure gold, menorah, was one of the articles that was placed in the temple. And that's the same word that's showing up here in the Hebrew. Moses is seeing a menorah with seven lamps. And, and or Sorry, not Moses. <laughs> Zechariah is seeing a, a lampstand, a menorah. And a picture of menorah, right? This lampstand with seven lamps. And above the lampstand is a bowl. And that bowl has pipes running from it that are running to the lamp. Each lamp that is on the menorah. So it's really interesting. You, you think of it like this. It's almost like the basin on the top of the lamp is a kind of water tower, right? It's, it's holding the oil, and then gravity is pulling the oil down from the, the bowl through these pipes down to the lamps that are on the menorah. So it's actually a very brilliant way to have a constant fueling system on a lamp. And actually, archaeologists have discovered various, uh, not a lot, but a few menorahs that are built just like this. So this is a real thing in ancient Israel. They actually had lamps like this. And this is what Zechariah is seeing, a, a, a lampstand that is able to fuel itself from the basin that's on the top that contains the oil. All right, so that's what he's seeing, this, this amazing uh, piece of technology for that day. And you've got to remember, Zechariah is seeing this at night, right? Because he's been away, awoken from sleep. And so he's seeing this lampstand at night that is burning brightly with all of this light, and it's being constantly fueled by the basin on the top. And the angel who's speaking with Zechariah says, hey, what is this? What are you seeing? And Zechariah says, well, I'm seeing this. And then he's like, what on earth am I looking at? You see this pattern in all of Zechariah's visions. He's always asking the angel to interpret the vision. And so Zechariah says, what am I looking at? And the angel says, don't you know? And the reason why the angel asked this is because Zechariah is a priest. Uh, so he, he's very familiar with the, the concept of the menorah and the lamp and the symbolism behind the lamp, which we'll talk about in a second. But the angel asks him, do you not know what you're looking at? And Zechariah says, no, I don't. I don't understand the symbolic significance of this lamp. Please explain it to me. And the angel in verse 6 answers and he says, this is the word of Yahweh to Zerubbabel, saying, not by power and not by strength, but rather by my spirit, says Yahweh of hosts. This is really interesting, the way that the angel tries to answer Zechariah's question. Let me just step back for a second and explain a little bit about what's going on here. So the lamp that Zechariah is looking at, right? the menorah, the idea of light, the idea of lamps in general, is very, very common throughout the Old Testament, as I'm sure you probably are familiar with many verses about, you know, we are the light of the world, and, you know, Jesus is um, the way, the truth, and the life, and, and that he is our true light, and all of these kinds of things. Light and lamps show up a lot in Old Testament symbolism and Old Testament prophecy. And the lamp, as it shows up in the Old Testament, is symbolic of three primary things. 
And I think Zechariah is drawing on all three of these things here in this passage. Firstly, the lamp or the menorah symbolizes the temple. And I've already mentioned before that the menorah is an article that was in the tabernacle and then later in uh, Solomon's temple. So the, the menorah symbolizes um, God's presence in the temple. It is a, a, um, a worship artifact. So it shows the temple. Secondly, the lamp symbolizes God's presence. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the temple because the temple is the place where God dwells with his people. That's where he manifests his presence. Take a look. Uh, well, you don't have to turn here, but just listen to 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 29, where David says, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. So there David is describing this idea of a lamp, that God is like a lamp and that he gives light. To David, he gives spiritual light. Revelation 21, 23 uh, gives us another image of the lamp, just as an example. It says the city that is the new city that God is building in the new heavens and the new earth, heaven, the place where we're going to dwell um, with him for eternity. It says the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So there we see the idea of, of lamp and light being symbolic of the presence of God. That's one of the distinctives of the new heavens and the new earth is that God will be fully present with his people. That's what all of redemptive history is about, is getting to that point where God can dwell with his people. That's what God has wanted since the beginning. And so light and lamp, the menorah, symbolizes God's presence. So the temple, God's presence, and then thirdly, the menorah also symbolizes the people of God. Isaiah 42, verse 6, God makes Israel a light to the nations, we are told. He makes them a lamp unto the nations. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world, Jesus says. And he's speaking there to, to his followers. And so there's a sense in which we can say not only does does the idea of uh, the menorah, the lamp, the light symbolize God and his presence and his temple, but it also, by extension, because God fills us with himself, symbolizes his own people. And now I think if we take all three of these Old and New Testament concepts of the lamp symbolizing these three things, and we look at Zechariah this way, we can actually see that Zechariah is drawing on all three of these meanings of the menorah. And we can see that by looking at verse 6 and seeing what the angel interprets the lamp to be. Here's what the angel says. We just read it. I'll say it again. This lamp is the word of Yahweh to Zerubbabel, saying, not by strength, or excuse me, not by power, not by strength, but rather by my spirit, says Yahweh of hosts. And here's what I mean by that. You may be like, okay, I don't see the connection here. Well, let me explain it. Let me explain it. First of all, Zerubbabel, the, Zerubbabel, the character that's being um, referenced here, is one of the leaders of the Israelites who is in charge of the rebuilding of the temple in Zechariah's day. Okay, You can read about him in Ezra, some other places. Zerubbabel was in charge of the rebuilding of the temple and Jerusalem. And the angel is saying the message 
that this vision of the lamp is going to convey is this, that to those who are building my temple and my city, Jerusalem, you need to know that that is not going to happen. This rebuilding of the temple and this rebuilding of the holy city is not going to happen by human power or by human strength, but rather by the power of God. By his spirit will these things happen. This is where we begin to see why there is a basin of oil on top of the menorah. The menorah itself is symbolic of the temple and the rebuilding of the temple that's going on. The basin of oil is giving us the source of how the rebuilding of the temple is going to happen. Oil in the Old Testament is symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is why anointing happened with oil for the priests when they were being ordained or why David was anointed with oil to be king over Israel. These, the, these uh, events with oil symbolize not only just the anointing of a position, but the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit on particular individuals. And so what we see is that the basin of oil on top of the menorah is fueling all of the lights. And that oil is the Holy Spirit fueling the lights. And the lights are the people of God. So it's in this way that we see the idea of uh, the temple, God's presence in the form of the Holy Spirit, and the people of God all being wrapped up into one in this particular image. I think it's a fantastic image, really rich and just, just begging to be dwelt upon. And here's why this is all important. What's going on right now is the rebuilding of the, the temple, the physical temple. And we've seen that Zechariah has this in view quite a bit, the rebuilding of the temple. That's what's going on during his ministry. And what the moral of the story is here, what the message is, is that the people of Israel need to understand that though the Spirit is at work among them, God's presence is among them, they're rebuilding the temple, and they are the lights of the world, though all of this is happening, they need to recognize that it is not by their own efforts that God's will will be accomplished. It is not by their power, not by their own strength, that these things will happen. But rather, it's by God's power that they're going to happen. God is going to rebuild his temple in Jerusalem here by his own power. And as we've already seen, if we want to continue to draw the the prophetic overtones here, is that not only is God's power rebuilding the physical temple of Jerusalem in Zechariah's day, but as we've already seen in previous weeks, it is not by human power or strength that God will build his spiritual temple and his spiritual Jerusalem. It's by God's spirit that the church, the true Jerusalem, the true temple, will be built. And we will see that theme traced out more as we look at the rest of chapter 4 next week. But what you ought to see as essentially the, the center point, the moral of this story, is God is telling his people, listen, I will accomplish my will by my spirit. Notice, though, that God is not saying that the people don't need to do anything when they're rebuilding Jerusalem or when they're rebuilding the temple. No, Nehemiah still has to get people to build the wall. They still need to carry swords along with all of their building 
uh, uh, tools in order to protect themselves, right? They're, they still have a responsibility to do what they're supposed to do. But they need to know that they cannot rest in what they are doing as the final and ultimate means to bring God's will about because that's not how it works. God commands us to do our duty, but we must never think that it is our duty or our own work that is going to produce his will and it is going to bring things to pass and that it is going to accomplish what God wants. That's the message here. To Zechariah's audience. You can rebuild that temple. You do it. You're supposed to do it. Great job. But don't think for two seconds that this temple is going to be rebuilt by what you're doing. No, God gets all the credit. Now, if you'll allow me to draw an application from this text for us today, I think many of us would agree we are very much sick and tired of talking about the coronavirus because, you know, it's all over Facebook. It is all over the news. We can't even have a conversation with someone without this subject coming up. And even now, the Mississippi governor has ordered everyone to stay at home. Um, And we are not allowed to go and really do anything other than get essential groceries and essential work and that kind of thing. So it is uh, very much an interesting situation for us, and and I, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely sick of talking about it, and I'm ready for it all to be over, as I'm sure you are too. And within this unique situation that we find ourselves in, much like Israel, they were in a unique situation too, we are called to do certain things. The scripture calls us to submit to the governing authorities and to do what we can to to limit the spread of this virus by staying at home and obeying the governing authorities. We are called to do our duty here. We are called to do the things that we are supposed to do. But when we do our duty, just like the Israelites did their duty in building the temple and rebuilding Jerusalem, we ought not to think that our protection from the virus comes by doing what we're supposed to do. Certainly we need to do what we're supposed to do, but we don't get to give ourselves the credit for doing what we need to do. No, we need to remember that even though we do our duty before God, it is ultimately God who is going to get the credit for any protection that we have from this virus. God gets the credit. It is by His Spirit that things happen and that things don't happen. His will is accomplished by what he has decreed before the foundation of the world, not by what we do. We still do our duty. We're still responsible to do what we are supposed to do. But God gets all of the credit. It is his power that accomplishes his will. And I find that, even though I'm sure all of you know that already, I want to remind you of it because I find it to be incredibly comforting to know that he is the one who is in control of our situation today, just like he was in control of Israel's situation in Zechariah's day. This is an important message for us to grasp, to see that God is in control of everything that is happening right now, and we are to do what we can do. We are to do our duty before him 
to submit to the governing authorities and to, to, to be smart and to be safe. But all the while, while we're doing that, we recognize that it is not by a human power and it is not by human strength that God's will will be accomplished, but rather it is by God's spirit, says Yahweh of hosts. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your provision for us, that you have you've protected us, that you've provided us with what we need. And Lord, even in our own day here when we've got all the craziness going on in the world right now, that you are in control and that you have provided comfort for us. Lord, help us to see the message for us today in Zechariah. Help us to see that it's not by our own power, not by our own strength that we bring your will about, but it is merely your spirit. It is only your spirit that brings your will about. Lord, we thank you for that. Father, we pray that you would keep us safe, help us to be smart in our day, and draw us to your word so that we might be changed by it. In the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, thank you for tuning in, folks. Next week, we'll finish up chapter four and continue to look at this vision of the lampstand.